This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored by Sandra Brown's new historical thriller, Blind Tiger. The year 1920 comes in with a roar in this rousing and suspenseful novel by number one New York Times bestselling author Sandra Brown. Prohibition is the new law of the land, but murder, mayhem, lust, and greed are already institutions in the moonshine capital of Texas. Young widow Laurel Plummer finds herself there and plunges into the lucrative local industry just to survive. Deputy Thatcher Hutton is a veteran just trying to get back to a normal life. And now they find themselves on opposite sides of a moonshine war, and the blood flows as freely as the whiskey. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 109, and we are recording on August 22nd. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Nezra Javid, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Nezra. How are you? Hi, Katie. I am coming to you live from a very stuffed up nose <laughs> and smoke everywhere. But basically, I'm okay. <laughs> How are you? Um, well, I, I do not have a very stuffed up nose. I'm very sorry to hear that. And I'm sure the smoke is not helping. <laughs> but you, I think I think you sound okay. We're just we're just gonna, you know, push through it. And like I said before, this is not the first time that someone <laughs> has had to record an episode of a podcast while while in the throes of illness. This is just how it is. The reality of life. Colds just sneak up on you. It's the worst. It, it just. Ugh. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just gonna say. I. It's, it feels like the 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 summer cold has been very prevalent this year. Probably as a lot of people are venturing outwards again, mm-hmm. and when you know if there are still places where mask wearing isn't as prevalent as it is in others, and where now there's confusion about mask mandates and oh, yes. all this other stuff. So illnesses are going to be flowing freely. Illnesses yeah. other than COVID are going to be <laughs> flowing freely. So, oh, well, I am, I'm sorry to hear that, that you are, that you are under the weather on the weekend, but it sounds, it sounds like you are just powering through yes, it. Absolutely. Um, do you, I was going to say, have you read anything recently that you'd like to talk about that might lift your spirits a little bit? Yes. So, uh, I know I was reading Home Before Dark last uh, oh, yeah. episode, but I'm still working on that one. But I did obviously start another book and, I'm the, and that I've talked about so much. And I'm so excited to re- start reading it. It's Velvet Was the Night by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. I had the e-galley copy for it. I went out and got a physical copy just because I just... Her works are so immersive. I like to hold physical copies of those books and like get lost in them and I've just started it and it is amazing I've talked about that book multiple times so I'm not going to go into the more details about it but it is fantastic it's exactly if you've read Sylvia Moreno Garcia's works before she just like ropes you in with the atmosphere she creates and this is no different so I am excited to report back on how that is going what about you have you read anything that you'd like to talk more about um, well, uh, the book that I'm, uh, one of the books I'm going to be talking about later in the episode, so obviously I won't go into that there, but a couple of episodes ago, one or two episodes ago, I, uh, when I talked about The Witch Elm, and I was saying, oh, I haven't listened to that one on audio, and it's been a while since I read it. I think I should probably pick that up at some <laughs> point. So I did, and I'm about halfway through it, and my recollections of the book, like my general impressions from what I remembered from the two or three years ago since I read it, are pretty much on point. 
like, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is how I remember it. The first third of the book is pretty slow. And even knowing that going into it, I was like, okay, you know, I got through, mo- or I was getting through it. I'm like, okay, yeah, I remember this part, you know, the part of the book. I remember how this goes. And so I understand the layers that, that she's creating, the foundation. And then after a while, I was like, wait a minute, when did they find the skull of the tree? Good Lord. <laughs> so, so reemphasizing that the first third of the book is, uh, is, very like the epitome of the slow burn like it is barely smoldering but you will get there (laughs) but what i was taken aback by was again remembering my general impressions of the book and how you know yes it's a mystery of how did this dead body end up in the tree but it's also about memory and privilege and reality and how like you know, just because you experience something one way doesn't mean that it is the reality. And seeing a very privileged character, a white male in his 20s, who has a lot of, you know, who has a lot of privilege in his life, has never really experienced any hardship, watching him understand that privilege. Tana French does, she, it is just mesmerizing what she does and how subtly she does it. And it's just fantastic. Like, this is, like, beyond her mystery writing skills. Like, this is, this is like, character development on such a masterful level. And even though the book is slow going, and even though I totally want to just punch the main character in the face, <laughs> it is just fantastic writing. And it is absolutely, like, if you've already read The Witch Elm, but you're like, eh, should I read it again? Do it do it. I think this is a book that absolutely you read it the first time to get the plot, you read it the second time to pick up on all the nuances. And so I'm very happy that I decided to listen to it on audio. You know, I have The Witch Elm sitting right behind me and I'm I'm always in awe when you say that you're rereading a 600 page book because I'm like, (laughs) only Katie can do that and get away with it. You know, like I hear I am struggling to, I, I, whenever I see like a book bigger than 400 pages, I'm like, okay, Let's let we'll think about it. Let's think about it. I love it. I love it. I am inspired by you, Katie. <laughs> it, it is a very few privileged authors. It's basically Tana French and Stephen King, and <laughs> that's about it. So, uh, but yeah, it it is very much well well worth it. So yeah, hopefully you'll get a chance to read it soon. Yeah, it, it, that it is very high on my radar. Thanks to so yes, I am excited to get to it. Awesome. All right. Well, do you want to go ahead and give us our first sponsor and then we'll go ahead and jump into this thing? Absolutely. This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored in part by Preston and Child's new Pendergast novel, Bloodless. On the evening of November 24, 1971, D.B. Cooper hijacked Flight 305, Portland to Seattle, with a fake bomb, collected a ransom of $200,000, and then parachuted from the rear of the plane, disappearing into the night and into history. Fifty years later, Agent Pendergast takes on a bizarre and gruesome case. In the ghost-haunted city of Savannah, Georgia, bodies are found with no blood left in their veins, sowing panic and reviving whispered tales of the infamous Savannah vampire resurface. As the mystery rises along with the body count, Pendergast and his partner, Agent Goldmoon, race to understand how or if these murders are connected to the only unsolved skyjacking in American history. Together, they uncover not just the answer, but an unearthly evil beyond all imagining. 
we thank Preston Child's new Pendergast novel, Bloodless, very much for sponsoring this show. Oh, I that that is an author duo. I've been meaning to read more of the Pendergast books. <laughs> I've I've read I think I've read one or two. I know I've read at least one, and I just love the blend of suspense and supernatural, and it just it just feels like an episode of the X Files in book form. Yes, yeah, and uh, the, all their premises are so fantastic every time every time I read a premise like, I was reading this premise and I, I have been to Savannah Georgia I used to but I lived there just for a slight bit and oh I am sold so so yes it, this is if you haven't checked out their like, their duo then this is something special you should have on your radar it they're fa- they are they are awesome at just creating atmosphere you know like a mood all right so, welcome to all of our lovely listeners. If you are just tuning in for the first time, welcome. We are delighted to have you. And if you are not tuning in for the first time, if you're a repeat listener, welcome back. We are so delighted that you continue to put us in your ears every two weeks. So, like we said at the beginning of the episode, this is Red or Dead. We talk about anything and everything that falls under the mystery, suspense, true crime umbrella whether it's exploring new subgenres or talking about true crime documentaries or movie adaptations or author read-alikes or whatever the case may be. If it's mysterious and suspenseful, it's fair game. And this is the point in the show where we always put out a call to our listeners to hit us up with any suggestions you may have for upcoming episodes. They really help us plan so many of our upcoming episodes. We've done a ton of listener-suggested topics in the past, and it's a great way for us to know what you, the listeners, would like to hear more of. It's a great way for us to expand our own reading horizons, and it's just a win-win all around. So if you have any ideas or recommendations, you can shoot us an email or reach out through social media. We have all of our contact information at the end of the show and in the show notes, but we always put out the call ahead of time just to get those juices flowing during the episode. And even if you don't have an episode idea and you just want to say hi, there is nothing we love more. We love hearing from the listeners. It really, truly makes our day. So hit us up if you just want to say hi. And if you enjoy this podcast, definitely leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts so that other people can find us and join in on this fabulous community that we've created over the last few years. And this is the part in the show where we usually jump right into the news segment, but quite frankly, there hasn't been a whole lot happening in the news world over the last couple of weeks, so we're just going to skip that part for this episode and uh, jump right into our main discussion, which uh, for this episode is Women in Translation Month. Yes. And Nezra, I, I think, well... I know we've done Women in Translation Month on this show before, but you were the one who reminded me <laughs> that August is indeed Women in Translation Month. So I am very glad that you that you remembered that. <laughs> uh, yes, so the, uh, works in translation is something that's very close to my heart. I mentioned this uh, someplace else as well, that I, uh, I exist on the fringe of three different languages, like a bit of Urdu, a bit of Arabic and English all the time. So works in translation is something I deal with in, you know, translating into other languages, something I do in my head all day long. And just 
works in translation or something that mean a lot to me. So whenever August comes around, I always feel very enthusiastic. I'm always eagerly scrolling through, you know, Twitter feeds, stacking up those uh, recommendations people are giving about works in translation because I just love it. I just love this month. I just love just how translations are able to capture the essence of another language and also not able to capture that essence. So, uh, so a lot of times, you know, I've read some works that have been translated from Arabic to uh, English and I can, you can sort of see where the translator did such a fantastic job and where it's just that difference between languages is sort of unbridgeable. And uh, it's just a fascinating thing to witness. And then when you add, the reason I wanted to, you know, I thought it would be a great idea to highlight some crime mystery works is because on top of this dynamic between languages that is taking place, when you add a plot, you know, a thickening plot to it, oh, it's just a reading experience on another level. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to go ahead. Would you, uh, do you want to go ahead and give us your first pick? I'm super excited to hear what you thought of this one. So I am rubbing my hands in anticipation. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so my first pick is The Lost Village by Camilla Sten, translated by Alexandra Fleming. And I believe that the original language for this book is Swedish. This book, this, let me, this book hooked me from the description, which they said is like Blair Witch Project meets Midsummer, And I went, gimme. <laughs> I want it. So I finally got around to picking up this book. This is one that I've been talking about. Oh, I want to read it. I want to read it. Never got around to reading it. So I finished it over the course of like the last two days. And this, it's been a bad reading week, but I, but this, this book was a very fast read. Now, before I jump into just the general description about the book, I do want to say that this book, uh, based on hearing other people's reviews and perceptions of this book, it is going to be highly divisive. It's it's a book that, that some people really, really liked. It's some a book that some people really, really didn't like. And I think a big a big part of that is the the issue of mental illness in the story. So before we go into this, just know that there are issues of their mental illness is a very strong recurring theme throughout the book. And I know there are some people that have issues with how the mental illness was portrayed. I can see where some of where some of those issues where some of the people did not like that. I the author has a foreword at the beginning of the book kind of talking about this and her intense and I I did not I didn't did not find it as problematic as other people did, but just be aware that that is something going in. So just know yourself and just be aware of that going in. So the story is kind of, it's told between alternating timelines. You've got the present day and then you've got 1959 in this very isolated village in Sweden that's been dubbed the Lost Village. And there's a mystery surrounding this town. Because in 1959, all of a sudden, everyone in this tiny village just disappeared, save for one woman who was tied to a pole and stoned to death. And so she, her body remained, and a crying baby in one of the abandoned buildings. And everyone else, no one knows what happened to the other people. They don't know what happened. It just, you know, it it kind of became like the Roanoke colony 
from the 1600s. And in, during the present timeline, we have Alice, who is a documentary filmmaker, and her grandmother was one of the families who lived in this town. Her grandmother moved away to Stockholm before the the disappearance occurred. So her grandmother survived, but the rest of her grandmother's family did not. And so Alice has grown up with all of these stories about the town and what happened or what could have happened because her grandmother has letters from her family that detail some of the things maybe leading leading up to the disappearance that may have had something to do with it. And so Alice has just become obsessed with this. And so she's put together a small crew to try and film a documentary about the mystery of the village and to figure out what the heck actually happened. Obviously, because this is a psychological suspense crossover horror novel, uh, things do not go well. <laughs> so it's, you know, the usual people disappear, equipment going missing, just and thinking that, like, hey, we're in an isolated village, but did I just see someone, like, walk across the street over there? Are those footsteps behind me that I heard? Is there someone is in this abandoned building? It's really super heavy on atmosphere, and this is the kind of atmosphere that I just adore. This, this kind of folk horror suspense type of feel. What I liked about the book and again, this is this is the part where there there are people that did not like the way it was portrayed. But one of the big recurring themes, like I mentioned, is mental illness, and specifically how women who have mental illnesses are treated, how they were treated in the past, how they are treated now. Are there any, you know, how much has actually changed, and. I think it's a really powerful message. Um, there are definitely some elements of the story that are extremely that are extremely upsetting. So there are there are some parts where that that are hard to read. But I think that the story creates an interesting dynamic between the past and the present, in terms in terms of how we perceive mental illness and how we perceive people who have mental illness. So. Yeah, so that's about all I'm going to I'm going to say about that. So yeah, I would just say know your reading self, you know, before you go into this, you know, form your own opinion. I thought it was a very fast read, a very intriguing one, and I really enjoyed it. So again, that is The Lost Village by Camilla Sten and translated by Alexandra Fleming. Uh, I think I'm definitely going to try and pick that one up just because the Blair Witch comp, it just gets me. Like, if you say anything is like the Blair Witch Project, I'm sold instantly. Mm -hmm. I just, if you look at that movie now, you're like, it's, this is a little goofy, but you can't stop watching it. It's a little like Jeepers Creepers. I love Jeepers Creepers. <gasps> but now that I look at it, I'm like, this is a little goofy. They're making a lot of bad decisions, but I can't stop watching it. So <laughs> I haven't so, seen Jeepers Creepers in years. <laughs> It is so goofy. You're, you're just like criticizing their decisions. You're saying, why are you doing this? Why are you going back? But I just can't forget that movie. I watch it, I think, once a month. And my husband has serious concerns about this now. But it's just their rare premises. I, I, I've just not seen them recreated in a way that I can sort of let them go yet. So 
I'll see if this is a contender for the marriage <laughs> project. Stay tuned, everybody. Uh, my first pick is The Silence of the White City. This is by Eva Garcia, and this is uh, translated by Nick Kester, and this is translated from Spanish to English. And this book is set in the city of Vitoria in Spain. And this is one of those books that has a very, uh, if you all have already not figured out, a book where the setting is actually a very big part is very much in my wheelhouse. And this is one of those books where the setting of Spain just comes alive. And just a little bit about the book, we have Inspector Unai, who is charged with investigating a series of ritualistic murders. But the murders that are taking place, they're very similar to the murders that took place 20 years ago. And Unai thinks that she has already captured the culprit and he is behind bars. So who who is it who's doing these murders now? But she starts having this suspicion that did she even catch the right person or has the culprit been out there for the past two decades? And it's a very much case of, you know, like it's two of the things that I like. It's this cat and mouse game, right? Because the killer is always two steps ahead of them, ahead of the authorities. There's there's no way to, you know, find a pattern to how he will strike next. And then there's also this element of is it a copycat killer or is it the real killer so there's tons of that going on it's a fantastic work in translation i feel like it translates the pacing of uh that the author intended really well it's not disorienting in any way it just flows and yeah and and the city of spain the city of vitoria it just comes alive in this in this book so if uh it does have i will add this i have a squeamish stomach and it does have a bit of because it is about, you know, serial killing, ritualistic murders. It is a little, it does get a little gruesome on times. But if those are some things, you know, you can easily skip over or, you know, just quickly skim over, then you should definitely pick this one up. Like I said, I have a squeamish stomach and I was able to, I was able to get through it. And um, the audiobook is also fantastic. But yeah, this uh, and the book is The Silence of the White City by Eva Garcia. It is translated by Nick Gaster. All right. Yeah, that I was seeing that book pop up on so many lists. And it's one that I that I'm like, okay, I know the title, I know the cover, you know, but I hadn't really looked closely at the plot. But yeah, you had me at ritualistic murders. I mean, <laughs> my gosh, some of the things I say on this show, I swear to God. Um <laughs> But yes, I agree that those types of stories are, I, I find them really intriguing, and that's usually a good way to get me to pick up a book. I love a good fictional ritualistic murder. Yes, so we had a listener actually write in, Katie, and I want to read to you what she said, because you're going to love this. You're going to love this one. So she says, I, wa- uh, I wanted to uh, tell Katie about this uh, <laughs> book about ritualistic murder, and... Uh, <laughs> I was like, yes, Katie will love it. I'm trying to, uh, I'm going to pull that up shortly. I'll read out the email too. But you just sort of saying that reminded me one of our listeners like, Katie, you need to check out this book. And they were super sweet because they were checking up on me as well. They're like, I hope you're fine with all the smoke. And so we love our listeners. You guys are amazing. 
like we, yeah, like we said, even if it's not an episode idea, but you just want to say hi or just exactly. send out a book recommendation, we love it. Yes, and I so love I that like, I've yes. created such a strong <laughs> brand for myself. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we love our listeners. So thank you so much for writing. And as soon as I find the title, I'll let you know. But yes. All right. Well, while you take a look for that, let me go ahead and jump in with our second sponsor for the episode, which is Amazon Publishing and the book An Unreliable Truth by Victor Mythos. The police pull over blood-soaked Arlo Ward not far from the site of the grisly murder of two couples. He fully cooperates with the officers, grinning through a remorseless, detailed confession. Investigators find no murder weapon, but young, awkward Arlo's confession is signed, taped, and delivered. Defense attorney Dylan Astor and his partner, Lily Ricci, are hesitant about pursuing the Arlo Ward case as it seems like a slam dunk for the prosecution. But the state psychiatrist shares the impossible with Dylan. Arlo Ward is likely innocent. And now Dylan and Lily must fight to ensure that justice is done. So, again, that is An Unreliable Truth by Victor Mathos and published by Amazon Publishing. And we thank them very much for sponsoring this episode. All right, I found the book. It's The (laughs) Children of Red Peak. And she says, if you're looking for a dark, demented, and disturbing book, this is it. So, there you go, Katie. What was the title again? Uh, The Children of Red Peak. Children of Red Peak. I am making a note of that. (laughs) So, there you go. Thank you so much for writing, and we love it. We love our listeners. We love hearing from all of you. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and jump in with my second pick, which unfortunately I did not get a chance to read because this last week has been it's been very long and not not heavy on the reading, but a book that has been on my TBR and continues to inch its way up my TBR the more I hear about it is The Woman in the Purple Skirt by Natsuko Imamura and translated from the Japanese by Lucy North. This is a psychological suspense novel, and it is also very short. It is under 250 pages. Like, it is just a tiny, tiny little book. And I am always intrigued by psychological suspense from other from other countries, especially other cultures that are so drastically different from our Western American culture, because psychological suspense and what we consider psychological and what's normal and what's, you know, quote unquote normal and what's quote unquote not normal is so different, especially when you have cultures, when you compare like Western psychological suspense to something like Japanese psychological suspense. It operates on a completely different level. So it's whenever you pick up a psychological suspense book written, especially, you know, in Japan or another East Asian culture, specifically, it's going to be so different from what you're used to. And I, I just find that so interesting. And especially when you have psychological suspense and it is in such a tiny little package, you know it is going to just pack a punch. So I am at some point going to pick up this book because, again, it's Goodreads says it is 224 pages, so it is undoubtedly going to be a short read. But it follows two unmarried women, and neither one of them has a name. There's the woman in the purple skirt... And then the woman in the yellow cardigan. The woman in the yellow cardigan watches the woman in the purple skirt from afar and slowly manipulates elements of this other woman's 
life. And the the woman in the purple skirt is she seems to be an outcast or taunted by local children and she she looks young like a schoolgirl but she also has part like there are other aspects of her looks that indicate that she is much older than she appears she's single she lives in a tiny rundown apartment she doesn't have much money and so the woman in the yellow cardigan who is the narrator of the book she is like i said she watches this other woman from afar And she lures the woman in the purple skirt to her job where she herself works as a hotel housekeeper. And then things start happening. And it's, it just seems so interesting. And the other thing that I find really interesting is that the the main characters here are both women. In psychological suspense, so many times it's either one woman against, like, the entire world, or it's a man and a woman, or something along those lines. And I think when you have psychological suspense between two women, that's when things can get really unpredictable. And part of that might be just because that doesn't happen a ton in psychological suspense novels where you have these two female main characters, but also because, I mean, unlikable female characters or untrustworthy female characters, they're, you never know what exactly is going to happen. So I just feel like this book is just full, is just bound to be full of surprises. Like, I have no idea what the rest of the book is going to lead to. So hopefully it is still on the shelf when I get back to work this week, but I definitely want to pick this one up. So again, that is The Woman in the Purple Skirt by Natsuko Imamura, and it's translated from the Japanese by Lucy North. One of my friends read this book, and they talked about how this is exactly the kind of unexpected you can expect from (laughs) Japanese literature and translation. So there is that if you need that extra little push. (laughs) All right, so my next pick is Mrs. Moore Goes Missing, and this is by Marila Shimikawa. And uh, my pronunciation was the result of just researching on the net. And so if anyone has, you know, if, if I'm pronouncing it wrong or anything, please, please do let me know. And this is translated by Antonia Lloyd-Jones. And this is set in 1893, Poland, we have 38-year-old Sophia, uh, who has who is married. She is assured that her husband's going to rise, you know, to high ranks in her in his university, and uh, she's just trying to fill her long days at home. Uh, so to just keep sort of boredom at bay, she s- decides that she's going to become, you know, she's going to improve her social standing. She's going to have, she's going to organize events. She's going to just go out there and meet people. And so she decides to organize a charity raffle in the elderly aristocratic lady's house called Helkel House. But when she gets there, two of the residents are found dead. So Zofia, instead of uh, instead of improving her social standing, decides that her actual talent lies in solving crimes. So, And that is when she, you know, tries and gets, you know, the authorities that this is foul play, something went wrong here. But when no one listens to her, she takes on herself to just, you know, ruthlessly follow the clues and find out what happened. And um, the reason I wanted to mention this here is because this is such a charming comp 
for if you like Miss uh, Miss Marple series from Agatha Christie, where there's this lady who's just just solves crime by just being a little bit nosy, <laughs> where where she's like listening in where she shouldn't be, or where she's picking up on very subtle way that people around her are acting, and it's almost this book is almost edges on the side of cozy, but it's also uh, it's also not that way because I feel like cozies have a set formula in place this this, this is very much not formulaic it has a it's very unique especially since it's a work in translation it's the sense of 1890s uh, Poland is very present the there's also a, a bit of like cultural commentary woven in on how women at that time you know what were their limitations what were their freedoms and it's very subtle. And the way that I would say that it goes on the side of cozy is that there's not so much gruesome detail in there. But if like if you have been looking for something like Miss Marple all your life, then this is this is something that should be on your radar. And this is a part of a series. So this was the first book. And I think the second book is set to be released sometime next year or in the coming years. But that's something to look forward to. That's Mrs. Moore Goes Missing by Marilla Shimakawa and Translated by Antonia Lloyd-Jones. Oh my gosh. I feel like with the books that we picked, we've got like such a, we've got such a range here. We've got cozy, we've got horror psychological suspense, we've got kind of police procedural. So Mm -hmm. God, I'm giving you an air fist bump. (laughs) <laughs> good job us <laughs> good job us we we unknowingly picked a really good range yeah. of books here all right so yeah those are the books that we chose to talk about for this episode but obviously we have only scratched the surface in terms of women in translation what especially when it comes to crime novels so if you have any favorites or even better any hidden gems that other people aren't aware of and you want to pass the secret on to us let us know because you can you can never have too many books in you can never read too many books in translation i don't think i think it's one of the best ways to broaden your your reading horizons i agree absolutely all right and then with that Let's go ahead and jump into our new releases because we've got two really, really awesome books that we want to talk about. And I will let you go first because I know you are super excited to talk about this one. Yes. You can't tell that I'm a, I'm a little bit jumpy in my seat right now. I feel like August and September are going to be fantastic months for new releases, not just in the crime mystery genre, but all like big works are coming. I know Carlson Whitehead's Harlem Shuffle is coming in September. Big works, big works are coming. But the one that I'm excited about is, so this comes out on August 31st, and this is A Slow Fire Burning by Paula Hawkins. And if you are not aware of Paula Hawkins, somehow, she is the author of The Girl on the Chain. And I think the girl, everyone, everyone, if not read, has heard about The Girl on the Train, because I feel like Gone Girl and The Girl on the Train, they launched this movement after which we saw titles with The Girl everywhere we're still seeing titles with we're still seeing and i feel like they create these two titles they created benchmarks almost where every every book was gobbed to these books to get you know to sort of create that just to create like a comparison that if you like the gone girl or if you like the girl on the train and it's a and because of this you know the fame that these two books received i took the longest time reading them 
But I mean, they were excellent books. But I feel like they were their publishing their publishings were momentous because of what they changed the whole game. Like after, like they were there. I think there was a book that is the girl on a train, <laughs> and it's something to behold. Like if you go back and see the number of titles ever since that have either the train or the girl in it, it's. It's a wonder to behold. So yes, Paula Hawkins is huge. She accomplished something huge. And her new release, A Slow Fire Burning, it is slow burn. Very much her signature slow build to a very climactic conclusion. When a young man is found gruesomely murdered in a London houseboat, it triggers questions about three women who knew him. Laura is the troubled one-night stand last seen in the victim's home. Carla is his grief-stricken aunt already mourning the recent death of yet another family member, and Miriam is the nosy neighbor clearly keeping secrets from the police. Three women with separate connections to the victim. Three women who are, for different reasons, simmering with resentment. Who are, whether they know it or not, burning to right the wrongs done to them. When it comes to revenge, even good people might be capable of terrible deeds. How far might any one of them go to find peace? How long can secrets smolder before they explode into flame? Look what you started. So again, that's A Slow Fire Burning by Paula Hawkins that comes out on August 31st. And if you do audiobooks, then may I tell you to please put this book on hold, pre-order it because the audiobook is narrated by Rosamund Pike. And if you haven't heard Rosamund Pike narrate a book, an audiobook, I invite you to correct that immediately because (laughs) her narration, oh my goodness, her narration is just, you just, she weaves a spell on you. And I wish she narrated more audiobooks, but I I have this pre-ordered on my Libro. I am ready to go the moment this book, you know, it, it falls the moment I receive the notification, I am ready. So that's something to, you know, extra to look forward to. So that's a Slow Fire Burning by Paula Hawkins, and it comes out August 31st. I was going to say, speaking of Gone Girl and Rosamund Pie, <laughs> <laughs> the blending of two worlds. Oh, no, I love Rosamund Pike. And yeah, this is definitely a book I'm going to pick up on audio. Well, I will try to pick it up on audio, but I have a feeling it's going to be super popular on audio. <laughs> So I'll see if I can if I can worm my way into the near the top of the holds <laughs> list at my library. <laughs> All right. So my new release that I am super excited to talk about is These Toxic Things by Rachel Housel Hall, which also comes out on August 31st. And if you have listened to this show for a while, you know that Rachel Housel Hall is definitely one of our favorite authors to talk about. She writes really interesting mysteries and psychological suspense novels, and this is her latest. It is a standalone novel where a dead woman's cherished trinkets become pieces to a terrifying puzzle. So Mickey Lambert creates digital scrapbooks for clients, ensuring that precious souvenirs aren't forgotten or lost. When her latest client, Nadia Denham, curio shop owner, dies from an apparent suicide, Mickey honors the old woman's last wish and begins curating her peculiar objet d'art, if you will. A music box, a hair clip, a keychain, 12 mementos in all that must have meant so much to Nadia, who collected them on her flea market scavenges across the country. But these tokens mean a lot to someone else, too. 
Mickey has been receiving threatening messages to leave Nadia's past alone, and it's becoming a mystery that Mickey is driven to solve. Who once owned these odd little treasures? How did Nadia really come to possess them? And discovering the truth means crossing paths with a long-dormant serial killer and navigating the secrets of a sinister past, one that might, Mickey fears, be inescapably entwined with her own. So, with this book, not only do you have the trope of the long-dormant serial killer, which, again, I totally love, but you also have the digital scrapbook and object curating thing, which... I do digital scrapbooking, not like this for people. Um, I Right now I'm just working on doing like comprehensive digital scrapbooks of my college photos, uh, which there are a lot of them, but I really love digital scrapbooking. So I really like this premise. And I also, during the pandemic, started getting into some family genealogy. Not I haven't gotten super into like the whole family tree thing, but going through the my parents stuff that they have in their basement they have all kinds of objects from my grandmother and my great grandmother and stuff and just going through these boxes and finding all of these old things and figuring out what they were and what they meant to people like that was so fascinating and that's something that I really want to be able to do more of with my own family history so this book is just like combining all of Katie's interests into like one package so yeah I am super duper mega excited for this one so again that is called These Toxic Things by Rachel Housel Hall and that comes out on August 31st as well Rachel Housel Hall. Oh, what a powerhouse. <laughs> I I recommend her books all the time because her books are, the premises are amazing, obviously, but they're very deep character studies, mm-hmm. very intricate, you know, and uh, she takes her time writing her story, building her story. So yeah, like her, and now she's gone, I believe was her latest release. And then there was another one that was uh, inspired by, and then there were none. Oh, then she is, if she is not on your radar, then you need to immediately put her on your radar because she also has a lot of like commentary on you know race sometimes woven in, and it's like it's very eye opening. So it's a she manages to create this ba- very nice balance of a little bit of everything. So yeah, I I am super. I was excited for both of our new releases. So. <laughs> It's it's a tough, it was a tough one to choose. <laughs> All right, with that, like I said, there are tons of new releases that are that are on our radar that we will be highlighting in the coming few weeks. But with that, that is our show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much to everyone who listened. Thank you so much to our wonderful sound editor Jen Zink for always making us sound great. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com/listen. For more book recommendations and bookish goodness, head over to bookriot.com and don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen or just search bookriot on your podcast player of choice. If you want to send an email with feedback or so suggestions or just want to say hi, you can reach us at redordead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at Javed Nasra, that's J-A-V-E-D, N-U-S-R-A-H. And you can find me on Twitter at KT underscore Library Lady. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>